I'm Katie, and thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you and your family are here, and we would love to get connected with you. One easy way you can do that is text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website, therivertrch.cc, to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321, or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. I bet you can now. (laughs) All right. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and uh, open them to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. Uh, We are coming to a rapid conclusion to our summer series. We've been walking through the book of Revelation. So if you are new here, you're watching online for the first time, I just want to encourage you, uh, go back, check out our app, check out our website. You can even go on YouTube, get some of the context that's been laid out beforehand I believe it'll be a huge blessing to you. In fact, I was uh, just running through and remembering at the very beginning in chapter 1, in the first three verses, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. And I don't know about you, but this has been a huge blessing for me as I've been diving in through the book of Revelation and just uh, being affirmed over and over again the character and behavior of my God, who he is, and how faithful and true his words are. And I hope that's the same for you. And so we're going to continue. Last couple weeks, uh, we've been walking through. If we go a couple weeks ago, we talked about this clash of kingdoms that happens, right? Uh, where we walk through the, the analysis of a Babylon, the city of Babylon, the devil's kingdom, what it looks like, some of the character traits that existed there, versus the new Jerusalem, the, the kingdom in which Christ comes to rule and reign with. And last week, we walked through the millennial reign. And we looked at God's heart constantly being the desire that humanity would come to know who he is, and that people would, would follow him and repent. And then we saw at the very conclusion of the last week, at the end of uh, our message, how even when Christ is ruling and reigning, after he has ruled and reigned, people will still, will still reject him and choose to follow in the deceits and the deceptions of the devil. Which leads us kind of into our message today. We're going to be walking through the great day of judgment. Now, as soon as you hear that, I'm sure every single one of you are going, oh boy. I want to tell you a story. When I woke up Monday morning, I didn't wake up with this awesome, ex- oh man, I'm going to get it this week, man. Get pumped up, get excited. That wasn't there. I actually woke up, and one of my routines is I just look at what I have laid before me in the week, and I will figure out mentally how to prepare for the things that I have to do. And this week, on Monday morning, I looked at my calendar, and I was part of a, I guess you would say, a retreat. No, that sounds great. Why are you so so anxious about it, you would ask? Well, it's a retreat where, as a pastor, you would go... And prepare and hone your skills a little bit. And part of the, the process of this retreat is you're going to speak and preach to a bunch of preachers. You ever have to get in front of your peers and 
share an assignment or do a PowerPoint presentation. Maybe it was in your workplace. Man, I had this sense of angst and dread in front of me. Like, man, just to give you some perspective, with just three of the pastors there, three, they had over a hundred years of ministry experience. That's a lot of experience. These guys know the job description, if you will. And so to, to think about what laid before me, where I'm going to get up and I will be critiqued, I will be judged, I will be analyzed. Man, it put an enormous amount of dread in my soul. <laughs> I started to come up with ideas like, oh man, I wonder if there's a way I can get out of this. Started walking around my house, and many of you know I'm in the middle of remodeling it. I started to think, oh man, I've got so much work to do here. This will be a great reason to not show up. I'll just write a simple email and say, hey man, I love the opportunity. It's great. Uh, I just, my schedule just doesn't have it in it right now. I won't be able to make it. Please excuse me from being part of this retreat, this conference. I realize that wasn't really a good excuse because I've had this project for a year and a half. <laughs> Started looking around at all the different responsibilities I had and the circumstances I found myself in. And I just really felt on Monday morning extremely, extremely overwhelmed. Incredibly overwhelmed. And maybe you feel that way, maybe you've sensed that, maybe you even as we walk through the subject matter that we're going to cover today, you're going to read it and you're going to feel overwhelmed. Judgment day. Man, no one likes to be judged. But this is an important subject matter that's laid out for us in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. We'll begin reading in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened, and then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's pray and really take a look at this passage and how it can apply to us and what we need to learn from it. Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, I need you this morning as we walk through these passages. Lord, I pray that you would lead me, guide me, help me to articulate the passage clearly. Lord, for those who need to hear what is written in here, Lord, we all need to hear it. But for those in particular that you have been working on, whose hearts you have been moving and prodding, I pray that they would respond. Not because of anything I say, Lord, but because of the moving of your spirit. I ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You know, as you read this text and as you start walking through what's written here, one of the first things that's really clear in the passage is that this day, this day of judgment, there is no hiding from it. There's no way to hide from this day of judgment that's coming. It's not like in my scenario, my illustration there where I said, hey, I could have easily written an email. I could have easily sent a text or made a phone call and got out of the, the uncomfortable scenario that I was going to be facing. 
This day is unlike that. You're not going to be able to hide. You can see that as the text wrote that from the presence, from his presence, earth and sky fled away. What a great illustration. I didn't even come up with this. As humanity, we think, man, how do you hide from earth and sky? How is that even possible? You walk outside, the reality is you're touching earth. No one's hovering. You can't escape the fact that earth is beneath your feet. Even in this building, we have earth beneath our feet. And the illustration that John is using, that the Lord is inspiring him to use, is this fact that we as humanity can never escape neither earth or the sky. You walk outside, the sky is always above you. You can't hide from the sky. And in the same manner, this day, this day that is coming, the day of judgment, is similar in that aspect. We won't be able to hide from it. As we look at text, I think of this as uh, I was preparing for this. Even in Genesis, you go all the way back. We're in the last part of the, the scripture. Go back to Genesis when, when Adam and Eve had been deceived by the devil. They had sinned and they had disobeyed the commandment of God. What's the first thing they wanted to do? They wanted to go hide. They wanted to go hide. In fact, it's recorded in Genesis chapter 3. This is the normal response mechanism that humanity has when it comes to dealing with sin. We don't want to have to deal with it. We want to hide from it. We want to run from it. Unfortunately, on the day of judgment that's recorded here in Revelation, there is no hiding from it. Another passage, Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, it says this. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. That rest is the place in the person of Jesus Christ. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature... No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. See, the scripture has talked about this idea of of judgment day, this day in which we give an account. And the reality is, is there is no hiding. As you even look at that text, I, I love this aspect of how Hebrews uses this, this very word, the word of God. As we read it and as we look at it, we soon real quickly see a mirror in our own imperfections, do we not? As you start opening the word of God and you see what his commandments and his statutes and his instructions for our life say, and you look at it and you go, oh man, I fall short. So often we say that. I love how even in Revelation chapter 19, just a few chapters before, as it speaks of the horse or the rider on the white horse, The name given to Jesus is this very thing, the word of God. So as we look at the passage in Hebrews, we can easily associate the fact that that day, that day of judgment when we stand there, we're not going to be able to hide from Jesus, from God, because he knows the very intentions of our hearts. That's a whole nother level of critiquing, if you will. It's a whole nother level of judgment, if you will. He knows my motives. He knows my intentions. That's such a scary thought in my mind as I, as I think about it. And while Monday blues are a thing, and while maybe this particular Monday was a little bit more anxious than normal, when I consider the day of judgment, the level of anxiety 
that resides based on knowing what the Lord does, he examines the intention in the heart, should put it to a whole nother level. Man, he's going to examine every aspect of my life. Psalms 139, 1 through 12 says this. I love the Psalms that's recorded for us. Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is out of my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Think about that. All those times in your head you thought about cussing out that horrible driver. You may never have said it. You may never have spoke it. But the Lord knows. That's terrifying to me. I don't know if it terrifies anybody else, but that's terrifying to me. You know, when you had all those thoughts in your heads, the things that may have never come out of your mouth, the Lord knows. As he continues, he says in verse 5, You hem me in, behind, and before. You lay your hand upon me. And the, the author of this psalm, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Man, I don't know if you know this or if you ever felt like this as you read through the scripture. You go, man, this is impossible. Lord, your standard, your critique, man, it's just impossible. I can't attain it. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Here, this author has that same sense where he's like, man, Lord, you're, you hem me in. You're, you're all around me. You put your hand on me. You, you know everything about me. Where I'm going, where I've been. And then he continues and he says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, guess what? You are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark for you. The night is bright as the day for you, for darkness is as light with you. Even the darkest, like, hey, you know, we think this like, I don't know if you've ever done this. I grew up in a house full of brothers, so we like to hide around corners to scare the living daylights out of the brothers, or sometimes it ends up being my mom. Not so good. But we do this. We think, well, it's in darkness. No one sees. No one can see me. But the Lord sees. The Lord sees. We can't hide from the Lord. You may think that you can make an excuse or a phone call and say, hey, Lord, man, I know this day's coming. I appreciate it. Just not today. I got a lot going on. Sorry. We'll, we'll, make, we'll catch up. I'll put, take a rain check for the judgment day. I wish that was an option, right? It's not. So as we look at this text, going back to Revelation chapter 20, we see real quickly there is no hiding. We also see there are no favorites. As you look at the text in Revelation 20 verse, tw- or verse 12, he says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. 
And then if you jump a few, uh, just a couple sentences after that, he says, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And again, they were judged, each one, each one of them, according to what they had done. There's no hiding and there's no favorites. You know, what's reality of this text, and as I was contemplating it, since God doesn't play favorites and he's going to judge both great and small, the question that came to my mind is, well, what is the standard that God is going to judge us by? You know, as I was preparing Monday and throughout the week, I think it was on Tuesday, I got an email that says, this is the criteria by which I'm going to examine your sermon preparation and your execution of a message. Now, I'm going to tell you, I, I know it seems crazy because you guys think I'm up here, but man, there is nothing more intimidating than knowing the standard by which you are going to be judged by. But it also helped as a, someone that speaks publicly to know, okay, well, I can critique my message to operate in this way because this is what he's going to evaluate. It's good to know that. And as I was looking at Scripture, trying to understand and know how I could clearly explain God's criteria, if you will, I couldn't help but be drawn to Romans. Romans chapter 1. And you can read the entirety of Romans 1. I think it would be beneficial for you, but I'm going to start in verse 24. And there it says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That's fundamentally, in my mind, one of the biggest issues that we have as humanity. The criteria by which we are going to be judged. And it continues further down in the same book, in the same passage. Just a few verses down in verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. Evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God. Insolent, haughty, that's prideful, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. They are foolish, faithless, heartless. And ruthless. This is a list that Paul articulates in regards to the criteria by which God is going to evaluate whether we are good or not good. This is a terrifying list. In fact, it goes back and correlates right into the law. In fact, the very next verse says this in verse 32 of the passage. And this is Paul speaking to the teachers of the Romans. Uh, synagogue, the Jewish people in the Roman synagogues, and he says this in verse 32, though they knew God's righteous decrees, his law, that those who practice such things deserved to die. See, this is the ultimate outcome. Paul is speaking about what happens when we allow sin in our life, and the reality is, is every single one of us have allowed sin in our life. What is the ultimate conviction if you break the standard by which Christ has, which God has, it ultimately leads to death. 
death physically and death spiritually. But here in this text, he says, though they, they did not only do them, speaking to the teachers, but they gave approval to those who practiced them. Jump to the next chapter in chapter 2. Paul starts to lay out some fundamental things that we need to grasp. He says, we know, and this correlates to the passage in Revelation chapter 20, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. We know, we know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. He says, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God. See, we see Paul saying the same thing. There's no escape. But then he goes in in this in verse 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impotent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. That next passage goes into the fact that God's not going to play favorites. And uh, Paul's going to develop this idea as he walks into chapter 3. But don't presume that God, on this day of judgment, is going to play favorites. Don't presume, he says, on his patience, his character, his behavior. That he is loving and kind and patient. He is all of those things. And please don't misunderstand me. But on the day of judgment... After all that we have laid out in the book of Revelation, Christ's reign and rule for a thousand years, we get to see his peace and his, his, his perfect rule and reign as a king. It is after this that this judgment day comes. Don't think for a second that you are going to be able to say, well, God, I know you're a loving God. Spare me. I, I was hoping that you would be more patient with me, Lord. On this day... You won't be able to stand before God and say, Lord, I need some more patience. It's terrifying. As Paul continues in his teaching, Romans 2, 6 through 11, he will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, And do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. There will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first, and also to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first, and also to the Greek. For God shows no partiality. See, I I love this text that Paul is walking us through. He says, it doesn't matter your nationality. It doesn't matter that you were born a national Jew. That doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter that you were born an American. Like, Lord, I'm an American. We love freedom. We, we, We love you. We're a church or a nation that was built on Christian principles. Lord, don't you know I'm an American? God doesn't care. You might sit there and say, well, I'm a hardcore Republican. I'm not trying to make this about politics. I'm a hardcore Republican, man. Don't you know, God, I've got all the right political views. You might sit there and say, I'm a Democrat. Lord, don't you know I have all the right political views? 
God doesn't care your political affiliation. He doesn't show any partiality. He's not going to sit there and say, all right, uh, were you an American? Okay, check. You got that one. You're good. Come on in. Oh, were you a Republican? Let's, let's put that in. Are you a Democrat? All right, you're good. Come on in. That's not how it works. He's not going to show any partiality. He doesn't care if your bank account is full of money. You're not going to stand there and say, Lord, uh, while I was walking on this earth, look at how much. Here, I can help pay for whatever you need done in your kingdom. That's not going to work. You could be the most intelligent person. You can be intellectually profound. And I've been around many men that have an incredible mind to reason. You will not be able to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I've, I've thought this out. I've got an answer. You're not going to be able to n- negotiate your terms with God. You're not going to be able to articulate a more reasonable reason why you should be allowed into heaven. There's no explaining away the guilt, if you will. You can be the strongest person. You can work out from now until the day of judgment. You will not be able to fight your way from standing before God. There's no hiding and there's no favorites. In fact, as you walk to Romans 3, 22 through 25, the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction. There's that word. There's no favorites. There's no partiality. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation. That's a substitution. That's what that word means. By his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. See there's no hiding There's no favorites. There's only one verdict. There's only one verdict. As you look at this text and you walk through it, you see, going back to uh, Revelation chapter 20, you see death and Hades were thrown into this lake of fire. This is called the second death. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Earlier in the passage in the text in Revelation, we see that there are books, plural. And the best image in my mind that I can create, and I'm going to try to do this because I feel like I am on the same level as everybody else in this room. I imagine the throne room, this great white throne that comes in, and let's just pretend like this is the great white throne. We see the cross, we say God the Father is sitting there. And the day's going to come when I stand before the Father, and I imagine the devil over here, he has his books of my entire life. And in the books, he's going to go, and he's going to start saying, God, do you know what John's done in his life? Let me show you. On this date, at this time, this is his actions. This is his thoughts. This is what he did. Don't you know? Lord, he's guilty. I know he's guilty. I can just imagine the devil with all the books or all the accounts of my life. He's going to say that John deserves the second death. And the reality is this. He's not wrong. He's not wrong at all. I deserve death. The second death. The death that throws me into the lake of fire. 
But I love how this text articulates this. I can see the father sitting in his throne, hearing the arguments of the devil. And then over here is Jesus. And before he slams that gavel down to sentence me to an eternal place of fire, the second death, he's going to look over to Jesus, and Jesus has a book. I love how the story articulates it that way. He has a book. And he's going to say, do you spell Carter with a C or a K? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> trying to break some hum- humor into this. You can see Jesus sit look there. He's going to look for my name. He's going to see it. And this is what he's going to do. This is such a profound image. And I want you to see this. The Father is going to get ready to sentence me to what is rightfully my execution, if you will. And Jesus is going to come down. And he's going to stand in front of me. I'm sure my face will be flat on the ground. And he's going to stand before me. And the Father will see his perfect righteous son and Jesus will say hey I already paid for those sins it was on a cross where I shed my blood and I died for his sins wow you see this picture laid out here in revelation in chapter 20 and you see such a profound picture of the awesome grace of God for each and every one of us and I go back to first Peter chapter 1 If you allow me to read this, he says this, Peter speaks of this. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, let your hope fully, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word grace is getting something you don't deserve. Getting something you don't deserve. You see, on this judgment day, I'm going to stand and I'm going to fail miserably every single person in this room will fail miserably the hope is whether our name is written in the book of life and as we walk through peter's instructions here we get to see how we do that verse 14 as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all of your conduct Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, there it is again. He doesn't play favorites. According to each one's deed, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. That time of your exile is a time on our earth. And if it just ended there, it would be really overwhelming. But he continues, and in verse 18 he says this, Knowing... Knowing, being confident, assured, most definitely knowing that you were ransomed, you were bought, you were purchased from the feudal ways inherited from your fathers. That feudal way inherited from your fathers is the sin nature that we received when we were born. It also could be very easily the man-made religions in which we hope to hang and cling to. I'm going to be bold here and say some things that may shock you. There are many people who have walked through religious man-made religions that never know the ransomed price that Christ paid for them on cross and they're going straight to the lake of fire. You see, this day of judgment you will have to stand and give account of your works. And if your works aren't good enough and you have no other hope, you're standing there left holding the bag, if you will. 
the weight of judgment. If you don't have Christ, as this passage continues, this ransom, this price by which we were bought, Peter says, not with perishable things such as silver and gold. That doesn't buy your way. It's not by silver or gold. But with the precious, precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. There's no hiding. There's no favorites. There's one verdict. We're all guilty. But how do we find our name in the book of life? With Christ, it comes down to a very simple action. It's called faith. It's called reliance and relationship with Christ. It's saying, Lord God, I need you. Jesus, I know the work you did on the cross is the greatest thing. Paul saw it as something more valuable than anything else he had in his life, was seeking to know Christ, know him as a person, Knowing what he accomplished, his character and his behavior in our life. So today, to the church, he might feel like I did on Monday. I get it. This is a heavy subject, talking about judgment. You might feel like I did on Monday. Full of anxiety, fear, feeling overwhelmed. As you examine your own actions, your own conduct in your life, you're going to know as you stand in that illustration. If you stand before God, you know you're going to be guilty. But what's amazing is what happened to my life from Monday to Thursday. See, one of the texts that I was given, I was given four passages to preach from. And I won't go through all of them. But the one that the Lord kept pointing to me was the story in the book of Genesis 39. You don't have to turn there. It's the story of Joseph. Joseph was a son of Jesse. He was betrayed sold into slavery, and he was taken to a land that he didn't know, foreign. And he was working for a man named Potiphar. His wife lied about him, betrayed him, wanted him to conduct some evil action. Joseph remained faithful. And then Joseph was slandered and then thrown into prison. He was judged and sentenced. But what's amazing through that entire text as I was walking through it, the thing the Lord encouraged me with and showed me with and kept telling me over and over again was these phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord blessed Joseph. The Lord made Joseph succeed. Even in prison, the Lord allowed Joseph to succeed. What, What it kept showing me over and over again was this. That God is faithful and true to his promises. And so for us as the church, we may be overwhelmed with our past or even in our present or what we might do even in the future. Knowing that we're guilty and we will have to stand before a judgment seat of God. But man, it's so encouraging. I don't know if this lights you up, but I can tell you the burden I carried on Thursday when I was ready to preach versus the anxiety and overwhelmed feeling I had on Monday was completely different remembering the faithfulness of God in my life, that his promises are true. Church, that should be something we cling to and hang on to over and over and over again. See, I was here Wednesday night for a growth community, and I woke up at 5.30 to leave to go to this, this conference. Totally different spirit <laughs> from my Monday to my Thursday, and it all had to do with remembering the faithfulness of God. 
Church, some of you need to hear that this morning. You might be overwhelmed with the circumstances of your life. You might be overwhelmed with just the responsibilities you carry. And you might be overwhelmed with what's coming on Judgment Day because of your past, your present, or maybe even your future. I want to encourage you, church, first and foremost, remember the faithfulness of God. Remember that he promises to be there for you. Jesus' words are true. I think of 1 John 1, 9 through 10. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we turn around and say, hey, I have no sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. To the unbeliever, to the one who doesn't know Christ, maybe you see that image the day you're standing at Christ and man, the burden is heavy because you have to You have to be confident, and I want you to hear what I'm going to say. You have to be confident in your actions. You have to be confident enough in your own mind and in your own heart and in your own soul to say, yes, Lord, I am not guilty of any of breaking of any of your commandments. I am truly righteous. If you can do that, kudos. I couldn't. In fact, the scripture tells us that no one can. In fact, as we read in that very passage in 1 John, if someone says they have no sin, they're a liar. And if you're a liar, guess what? You sinned. I'm not trying to make light of it. But the reality is if you don't know the Lord, if you haven't called upon the Lord, you're going to have a day of judgment. And you have to stand there by yourself. The devil's going to accuse you. And the Lord is going to be over here, Jesus looking for your name, desiring that your name would be written in the book of life. And he may have to say to the Father, I'm sorry, I can't find his name. He hasn't put his faith and trust in me. I'm really sorry. And the gavel will come down and your sentence will be the second death. As Revelation says, and this is a heavy heavy thing to say, but he says right there, if anyone's name was not found, In the book of life. He was thrown into the lake of fire. Man I don't want anybody to go there. I really don't. It is only by the grace of God. That I even have an opportunity. To be there myself. It is by the work of God on the cross. That I am able to be there. And I don't want anybody else. It's not that I have anything better than anybody else. Trust me. You'll see that when that day of judgment comes. And the devil starts accusing me. You'll see that I'm not anything special. But there's a person named Jesus who thought of me and thought of you and every single person in this room and even the people watching online. Jesus thought of you and he said, listen, I'm intentional. I want these people to know me. I will cover them with my blood. The cross. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 23 says this, Therefore, brothers... Since we have a confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, which is in fact through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope 
without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. If you don't know the Lord, you don't have to take my word for it. But the word of Jesus, when he says, I've got you, when he says, you're mine, he puts your name down in the book and he says, I got that person. I got that person. I've got you in the back. I've got you over there. You're mine. This is the power and the promise that Jesus says. The work that I accomplished on the cross is powerful enough. Do you believe that? I pray and hope that you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you so much for your promise. Lord, uh, I am terrified of judgment day. But Lord, I have a little bit of hope and excitement knowing that your word is true. That your word and your promise to me is true. And it's something that I can rely on 100% guaranteed. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody in here that doesn't know you, if they're struggling and feeling overwhelmed and scared to death of that day of judgment, Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in their heart. They would talk to somebody. They would reach out to a friend. They would reach out to a family member, somebody. Lord, and just secure and have this assurance knowing that you have got them in your hand. That you are holding them securely. And they will rely on the promise of what you have done for them on the cross. I ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.